0: to us this morning. I know I've been doing this for a while where we stand and I know sometimes we can forget <clears throat> why we do it, or maybe you don't remember why I said I, I think this is a good idea, but I was just thinking this this week about Jehoshaphat and and Josiah both and in both those cases, they read the word of the Lord from daylight to sunset. And guess what the people were doing? They were standing all day long. Why? To show honor to the word of God. Because we love the word of God because God is our greatest love. And we want to hear from him. And so the reason that I've I've done this for so long is... I want us to remember: this is what God said to us. It's not about what I've said. This is this is where the authority lies. It lies in God's word. If if what I say agrees with God's word, then take it and apply it to your life. But if it doesn't, then it shouldn't be held to that esteem. And so, I just hope that we, when we do stand each week, we remember this is God's word. That We're reading the one who we say we love with all of our heart that we sang about loving this morning and so uh, Read with me starting in verse chapter 2 verse 20 of Colossians And the word of the Lord this morning to us says if you have died with Christ To the elementary principles of the world why as if you were living in the world Do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle? Do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be, have to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self made religion and self abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Lord, I pray that we would. Remember who we are in Christ, or that is a theme that you have given us here in the book of Colossians, and I pray that we would see the consequences, the result of our death with Christ, and our freedom from the ways of this world, and our freedom to serve you in those things which please and honor you. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes by your Holy Spirit, that your presence Would be here. That is why we are here. We're here because you say that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are with us. And so, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak and guide this morning. Give me words, I pray, to be clear and precise in what I say, that it would be according to your will and not mine. Cause our children to hear your words as well and be. Convicted of their need for Jesus. Lord, may we leave this morning more in love with you than when we came. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated. So as you can see, this morning's title is, Death with Christ is Essential." I know that sounds like an amazing title. This will be bringing everyone back next week. (laughs) Um, I'm sure this will get a lot of uh, plays on YouTube because of the title. (laughs) We don't want to die, right? No one loves the idea or thinking about dying. But... Throughout Scripture, we see the need for death. Why? Because sin came into the world. And and throughout the New Testament, we see constant reminders to put to death the deeds of the body. Constant calls to be dead to the flesh and alive to Christ. So when Paul arrives here in verse 20 he starts with a rhetorical question. He starts with a question of if. But the obvious point that he's making is, you are this, therefore why are you doing that? Because Paul has just, as we saw two weeks ago, Paul has just showed us the lack of value and the disqualification of believers by false judges and umpires, men who think that they are the authority, but they are not God's authority. They are trying to disqualify believers with false teaching, telling them that if they live the way they say, they will make it. But in reality, what their teaching will do will lead them to be disqualified and when they stand before Christ they will be nothing. So so Paul as he begins verse 20 he says if you have died with Christ He's assuming that this is true. He's assuming that every believer has died with Christ. And we see this this idea even more strongly in Romans chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. Paul doesn't play around with death. He is serious about it. And so, when we come into the kingdom of God... He begins chapter 6 with verse 1. I just want to read it quickly. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? You know, Christ paid the debt. No big deal. We want grace to be glorified, so we just live how we want. We live however we want. He says, May it never be. how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says in verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? This is the picture that we see in baptism. We see the putting to death of the flesh. And the raising to life in Christ. This all goes back to the, the life in Christ that we are called to have. We are called to life in Christ. Not in our own strength. Not in the flesh. And when we say flesh, well does that mean that our... Our worldly existence doesn't... Rec- no, what, what I'm saying is, and Paul is saying is, when we are raised to life with Christ, our power, our strength, our victory comes through Him. And that's why Paul in Colossians, if you remember in chapter 1, Paul hammered home, in chapter 2, the necessity of being in Him. We will not have the victory over sin unless we are in Christ. Verse 4 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. Why? In order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we will no longer be slaves of sin. Why is that possible? For he who has died is freed from sin. This is why death with Christ is essential. We must die to sin, and we cannot die to sin on our own. And that's, that's Paul's main point here this, in this section of Colossians chapter 2. But what have we died to? Well, Paul is going to give us three things. When we die with Christ, we die first to elemental principles of the world. We talked about these in previous weeks. But the ways and the foundation of this world we have died to those. The ways in which the world lives and breathes, we have died to those. Do we live as though we are dead? Because Paul's next part here is why, if you have died with Christ to these things, this is one of them, Elemental principles. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? So not only have we died to the elemental principles, but we have died to the world. Does that mean we are no longer physically alive? No. What is he saying? When we are... Dead with Christ, as we go back to Romans chapter 6, what did he say? He said, you are no longer slaves of what? Sin. The things of this world. So if we are raised with Christ, we have no need to go back into the world. When we die with Christ, we are raised to life spiritually. We were dead to righteousness, right? All of us. No single one of us could be righteous in our own works. We were all dead. And Paul's wondering, you, you say that you're dead with Christ. You say you follow Jesus That you have surrendered your life to him, and yet you are acting as though the elementary principles of the world define you. That they are the principles for your life. And then he says, secondly, and you're living as though you're a part of the world still. That's this idea. It's the idea that we are living in a manner which is in accordance with the way the world lives. you say well what does he mean by that what is it that the world gives credence to what do we acclaim well one we have the extreme of fame and fortune and power we we acclaim those who have that but then on the other extreme who do we acclaim those who have nothing and and take care of others Those who go through extreme difficulty and come out okay, as though they've been enlightened. This is Buddhism and Hinduism and mysticism, right? This idea that, just think about this. How many people in the world would think, oh man, the Dalai Lama is a really good guy? 100% unless they're complete atheists, but even then, how many times have you heard people quote the Dalai Lama? I have. Why? Why do people quote him? Because they think he's achieved something through his asceticism, his self-abasement. Right? The world... They like these extremes. They don't want a believer who lives in the world but is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because that person has to be surrendered to Christ and they can't stand that. They want somebody who through their own strength has reached God. Right? That's what these people are doing. When we get to verse 23, we see that. Men hate it when God says, the only way to relationship with me is through my means and my way. We want to be self-made, especially here in the United States. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, right? That's an expression we use. I'm not sure exactly how you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I guess you take them off your boots and then hang them around something to pull yourself up. I I don't know where how exactly that expression began, but we love these ideas of of the the guy that came from nowhere. There was a recent movie that came out about uh, a football player, a quarterback, and it's about the underdog. Right, We love the underdog. We want to hear stories of the people who came from nothing and became something. Why? Because we think, well, we can do that too. But in the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. We come from nothing and God lifts us up. Right? Humble yourself before God. The Lord and he will lift you up. It's not about our fame. It's not about our fortune. It's about the glory of God. And these men, they don't want to glorify God. They want to make a name for themselves. They're living according to the principles of the world. And they're living in the way that the world lives. But that's not the final thing. Death to Christ is death not only to elemental principles of this world and living like the world, but it's death to decrees. Well, what what is this word decrees? This word decrees is actually the word from which we get the word dogma. We just transliterate it into English. So, what's Paul saying? Essentially, you submit yourself to the dogmas. Of what? Of men. He he clarifies that at the end of verse 22. He says, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Isn't that how the world likes it? Well, if if you give me an exact way of living and you give me exact... Dogmas to understand, then, and and then I'll know this result will be a part of it. Then I'm going to do that. We want we want to we want everything to be perfectly in order. There can't be any mystery. Everything has to be known. But what's Paul saying? No. This isn't right. This is wrong, because what these. Principles of the world and the way the world lives and these, these dogmas of the world, these decrees, they're useless. They don't actually have value. But what decrees does he use as examples? Well, we see here 3 in verse 21. He says, do not handle this is very similar to the word touch. But handle is more holding on to something, grasping something. Or do not taste. Like, don't taste that. Don't eat that. That's wrong. And do not touch. What's interesting. Paul uses this language because it's not very clear as to what exactly he's trying to say. Sorry, I lost my place here. But again, so back to where we were. So you're trying to submit yourself to decrees like do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. But something I I missed here and I forgot to to mention is it's a self-submission. You're allowing yourself to be submitted to this. You said you're dead to the world and alive in Christ. Yet you're submitting yourself again to the ways and the decrees and the principles of this world. Isn't that how it happens? We, we all know people who started well. They had the image of death to the world. They started walking with Christ, but in time they walked away. And they began to submit themselves again to the commands of this world. Have we done that in our life? Are we guilty of allowing the world to gain mastery over us again? Have we returned into slavery? It may not be full-fledged denial of Christ. But the devil doesn't care how little you fade into this world again. He would actually prefer that you not notice the difference. Because when we begin to notice, hey, something's changed. Why don't I love those songs like I used to? Why do those words have no effect on me anymore? Why does God's word have no value in my life? Well... It's because we're submitting ourselves to the wrong ruler. We say we've died with Christ, but in reality, we've been resurrected in the world. We're sliding back into that old way of living, and and God is, through this passage, is encouraging the church at Colossae and us today, don't do it. You have the best. You have what is most valuable in Christ. Return to Him. Walk in His strength. Find yourself in Him when you wake up in the morning. Remind yourself of who He is and what He has done in your life. What's interesting here is these passages about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch are very much in line with Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15. So let's look at Mark chapter 7 starting in verse 1. We may not read everything, but I want us to see... I I do think that the way that Paul frames this picture is very much so a view of this, because at the end of verse 22, he really addresses this idea that you're submitting yourself to commands of men... And human tradition, so human commands and human tradition. So he says in verse seven, chapter verse one, chapter seven, verse one. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they come from Jerusalem, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. Oh, the horror! They forgot to wash their hands. Apparently, COVID hadn't come through, and they didn't know you needed to wash them for 20 seconds. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. Hmm. And when they came for the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now, is it good to wash our hands? Yes, <laughs> obviously. But the, the, the issue here is the Pharisees are saying that they are impure spiritually because they didn't wash their hands. That's the issue. It's not that they shouldn't clean their hands so that they, when they eat, they're not getting nasty stuff. All I mean, if I came home from some of the jobs that I do with my hands unwashed, who knows what, man, I'd either have some major strong immune system or be constantly feeling bad. But the problem is not that we shouldn't be clean in the way that we... Eat and all that. The issue is that it's not a spiritual issue. That's Paul's thing. You're not going to hell because you don't wash your hands. That's what he's, what Paul's saying. What Jesus is saying, or we'll see is going to say. Verse five. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? How are they so unholy and spiritually impure? Verse he says, Rightly did Isaiah, the, Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They in vain, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines... Dogma, we could say. The precepts of man. This is very clearly... I I do believe that Paul is, is kind of borrowing language from here. Going on. Neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. Is that happening in our lives? Have we so believe something to be of God, but is really a tradition of man, and we've actually neglected what the Scriptures say. Have we lost our intimacy with Christ to the point that we care more about what the pastor says or, or whoever you listen to on the radio or on YouTube or whoever, are you evaluating the teaching of others so highly that because you've lost your relationship with Christ? Because this is not about you agreeing with me. If you disagree with me, but you find truth in the Word of God, praise God. I I would actually prefer you come to me and tell me that. Not that I want everybody jumping up right now. uh, to. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, it's not about me. This church is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. He is the head. verse 9 he says he was also saying to them you are experts at setting aside the commandment of god in order to keep your tradition well wow. experts you know on all these television shows we they have these people who are supposed to be experts about this and that well i'm an expert about uh the situation in this area because i grew i'm i'm of the same color and i grew grew up as this color person. Oh, great. You're an expert now. Right? It's, it's, it's ridiculous what they consider experts anymore. Oh, I, I've got a degree. No offense to those who have degrees, <laughs> myself included. A degree does not make you an expert. You need to experience as well as... Right? But here he's saying, these guys, these Pharisees are so good at setting aside the commands of God for tradition that they are experts. They have by practice become really, really good at this. So if we want to become great at setting aside the commands of God to follow the traditions of men, we should research Pharisees and see if we can emulate them in all things. Verse 10, he says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of mother, father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and his mother, whatever I have, I would help you is korban. That is, to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Right? Do we see what's happening? They, they say, well, we believe the law of Moses, but to, to not help their parents, what do they do? They say, well, this is all devoted to God. I can't help them in that way. So they've created a tradition that over... Arkson and trumps the very words of God. Do we do that? Verse 14, After he called the crowd to them again, he began to say to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears, to hear let him hear when he left the crowd he entered the house and his disciples questioned him about the parable and he said to them are you so lacking in understanding also do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him what is he talking about can't defile him spiritually he's talking about food because it go it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated Thus he declared all foods clean. You see that? Jesus is already giving them a pretext to, hey, the food laws of the Old Testament are no longer in effect. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man, for from within Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things proceed from within and defile the man. Well, go back to Colossians. Paul's saying, don't submit yourself to these decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Well, why is that? Why, why shouldn't they? Well, he gives us a reason. In verse 22, he says, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. So what's he saying? When you use these things, What happens? They're no longer useful. They become perishable. When you eat bread, is it going to be bread anymore? No. Have any of you ever used a paper plate? How many of you have tried to reuse a paper plate? You know, wash and and clean and reuse it. It's destined to perish with use. I know it's not an exact... (laughs) one-to-one to to what Paul is specifically talking about, but this is the idea. It's, it's, It's something that was not created to last for eternity. That's what Paul is getting at. Paul is getting at the fact that these things, just as Jesus just said in Mark chapter 17, are perishable. These are things of the world that you're dealing with. These are not eternal things. Right, These foods, these drinks, Right, if we go back to chapter uh, 2, verse 16. Right? Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Because all these things that you're handling, tasting, and touching, they're going to perish when you use them. And he ends that in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are not of God. Right? It's very similar to what the Pharisees were doing. Oh, How dare you touch that bread after coming in from the field that you were walking through. You are impure. You are defiled. Again, this is a rejection of the idea that food and drink can defile us spiritually. Now, does that mean if we get drunk we're not in trouble? Yeah, the, the scripture is clear about that. Drunkenness. Gluttony. But it the scripture does not say, Don't eat it. It says, Don't eat in excess. Or Again, I I know I've I've put forth my conviction on alcoholic drinks, but there is actually no command in Scripture not to drink alcohol. I know that's not popular. Well, actually, drinking in excess is very popular, but <laughs> but we have to be careful not to become legalistic in the way that we we deal with even alcohol in in teaching. Now, I do believe we can. Calls a brother to stumble, and that's why I don't, I don't drink alcohol. But it is not a sin in and of, its, of itself. And that may not uh, make me too popular, but I'm not going to back down on that because I do find that to be true in Scripture. But we have to be careful as believers not to become legalistic. That's what's going on here. It's, it's legalism masked as humility. You know, if you, if you avoid these things, then you, you will put to death the flesh. But Paul says something different. He says, These are matters which have. To be sure, the appearance of wisdom—they appear to be wise, right? They—they they seem like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If I don't do eat that or, or drink that, then then I'll be I'll be good, right? But in what way do they have an appearance of wisdom? He gives us three different ways. He says, first, in self-made religion. That is, religion made by man or men for your own desires and self-abasement. Self-made religion there are so many people walking around saying, "Well, this is my Jesus." Well, you can say that you're Jesus, but if it's not the Jesus in the Bible, I don't care who you say you are, then he's not the Jesus that we serve and worship. The Jesus of the Mormon cult is not the Jesus of the Bible. I won't I will never agree with such statements. That is a self-made god that is given the title of Jesus. It is blasphemous to say that Jesus is the same Jesus of some of these cults. And self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. These these two are very similar. But self-abasement is different. It's it's false humility. Right? We abase ourselves. We make ourselves to be lowly. But it's a false humility. It's interesting. I am listening to the uh, biography of George Washington. And... He was very clever with words. I'm not anti-George Washington before I say what I'm about to say, but George Washington didn't speak much, and though he wanted things and power in certain ways, he never made it sound like he was worthy to do it. But it, when you listen to what he writes, he constantly says, "Well, though I don't think that I'm up to task, I feel like I must do this. And I compared that to another biography I just finished about Ulysses S. Grant. I think Grant, though I don't totally like everything about him, Grant was genuinely a humble person. Not by natural means, but he had a a general, a, a natural humility, and he didn't he never tried to make himself something that he wasn't. He never did. Mainly because his, his, he was raised in a family that was very much, you don't build yourself up. But I, I compare these two men, and, and I think, well, these both, both these men were, were great leaders, but in the end, Washington was more about appearing to be humble. Why? Because it was acceptable. Because if he came off as haughty and, and self-possessed, then guess what? He would not have been the, the commander of the military, and he would definitely have not been the president. Why? Because people were afraid of another king. So he understood society, but that didn't make him necessarily humble. In reality, he, he gave on airs of humility. You say well, that's that sounds like a bad example. Well, <laughs> go read the book because <laughs> this is this. Is the, yeah. Anyways, but as Christians, oftentimes we we try to put on airs as though we're humble. In reality, we're fishing for compliments. Right? Oh, yeah. Bear, I really had a hard time with that food. It's not my best. What are, we doing? what are we trying to do? Oh, that was really good. If that was your worst, man, you must be an amazing whatever. Baker, grill master, uh, whatever it may be. But in this, this cult that is, is running around here in Colossae, Paul is he's thinking about specific things that are going on. Specific situations, things that these people are saying you shouldn't touch, you shouldn't eat, you shouldn't um, hold on to. And these are all about your own religion. And they look wise in that way. They look wise when you consider self-abasement, bringing yourself low. But not in a right way, not submitting yourself to God in humility. It's submitting yourself to whatever the world thinks is, is lowly. This is the difference. It's not about submitting and being humble before God. It's about putting on airs of humility for the world to see. And finally, in severe treatment of the body. This word, severe treatment of the body, is is very likely and could easily be translated asceticism. And we've seen throughout history in the church what this leads to. You know, The idea of monks and nuns came about not that long after the church started. But it really came to height in the midst of the reign of Constantine. You think, well, why is that? Why did it become such a thing? Well, because during the reign of Constantine, it became popular to be a Christian again. Well, it had never been popular up to that point. But for the first time in the history of Christianity, Christianity was the religion of the nation. So guess what? You wanted a place in society, you went to church. Does that sound familiar? If you wanted to be accepted in the community, you went to church. If you wanted a place in government... You went to church, because if you weren't in church, then you weren't going to get in those places. So there were people in the church who were saying, wait, they're bringing their, their false idols, their, their uh, demonic activity in. They're just, they're just joining the church and bringing all their baggage with them. They, don't, they didn't surrender to Christ. And so, some thought, well, the only way to be at one with God is to go out and be a monk or a nun. To completely leave the churches and move to these places away from the world completely. Why? Because they had a false view of what it means to follow Jesus. Should you stay in a church that is completely off the rails? No, absolutely not. If they're, if they're teaching lies, and, but we should be sure that what they're teaching is heresy before we're jumping off the boat. But this idea of severe treatment of the body, that, that is universal in pagan religion. Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism... Especially the Eastern religions of mysticism—that's extremely high—and in um, and Catholic mysticism is, as well. This idea that, well, if I if I rid my body of, of all these contaminants, then I'll be closer to God. This very thing is uh, infecting many churches today. Say, so, well, really? Yeah, because we treat our bodies as though they're something different. They're they're not a part of us. God created you and I as embodied people. That is, we are inseparable from our body in this life, right? If I take your head off, what happens? You no longer have life. Your soul leaves your body. But you cannot separate the two without death. But what does the Bible say about the resurrection? Are we going to be just souls floating around in the resurrection? I'm getting blank looks. No, we will not. It says we will have glorified bodies. What does that look like? I don't know. But I guarantee you, you'll look a little bit like you do now. Just because you're resurrected doesn't mean there won't be a body. That is why the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is extremely important for believers. Because Gnosticism denies the value of the body. Gnosticism believes... Again, this is... I wouldn't say this is full-blown Gnosticism yet, but Gnosticism denies the body as having any value. The body is just something to be discarded. Like when you leave the body, that is when you are truly free from sin. They don't believe... And that's why Gnostics were very much so into severe treatment of the body and asceticism. They believe if they beat their body into submission, if they they did all these actually painful things, you know, have you heard of sleeping on beds of nails? Still goes on. Whipping yourself. Going up rock steps with your knees, bare knees. That's actually going on in, in, uh, in Rome. All these things are things that deny the way God made you. Deny the body that God, we are inseparable from our body. It is not a tool that we use. It is who we are. God made us man and woman. This is why this whole gender issue that's going on in our country is so disgusting. Not because it's not deception, because it is. The devil has deceived so many young men and women into believing that they aren't what God created them to be. Why? Because the world is telling them, well, if you feel this way, then you must be that way instead of saying no you were created by an omnipotent holy god with that body for a specific purpose god created you male he created you female why for his glory but when we deny the body that God has given us and we we begin to treat it as as a useless discardable part that can be changed and and unfortunately mutilated we are denying our maker this is why it's such an issue for us as believers to remember that God created us with the bodies we have for his glory yes we may go through trials and and issues like that but this severe treatment of the body, this self-made religion, this, this self-abasement, is useless. The reason that Christ died was to set us free from sin. Because when we are dead with Christ, we don't have to turn to these ways. This is the world teaching This is the way the world lives. These are the principles of this world. Right? Self made religion, self abasement, severe treatment of the body. Those are all the things of the world. And they are worthless in defeating the flesh. They cannot defeat the flesh. See what Saul says. He says, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You want a prime example of this? The priest system in the Catholic Church right? You can't marry to be a priest. And what do we have just and still going on? Sexual assault of boys and, and others? Denying the body what God made it for will not defeat the sinful nature This is the problem that Paul is pointing out. You can do everything you want in the physical realm to deny the body of sin, but it will not work because there's a heart problem. Right? That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. What proceeds from the heart, that is where sin originates. So you can stop eating impure food, you can stop looking at whatever you can stop touching whatever you can stop doing all those things but if you don't deal with the heart if the heart is not made new if the heart of sin has not been put to death and you have not been raised together with christ then it doesn't matter what you do you will not find victory that's what paul is saying physical solutions to a spiritual problem will always fail to have success. This is why most 12 that's why I don't agree with 12 step step programs. I'm not saying that they can't find some use, but if they are not reliant on Jesus Christ, they will not find success in the long run. Many people who go through those programs, they come out Seemingly doing well. But oftentimes, they may not go back to that specific issue anymore, but they're going to find another avenue. Maybe it, was, maybe it was alcohol abuse. Now they have drug issues or sex issues. Because the issue with most sin is we use sin to escape reality. Reality. We don't want to address the heart because that means we don't have a way to escape the reality of life without Christ. When we are born again, when we have died with Christ, we have a new nature. Right? Ezekiel 36, quickly. This is one of my favorite verses because it describes the new birth. God is talking about drawing His people back to Him. And He says in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is what Jesus does. This is why we should ignore anyone who tells us that we have to work our way to heaven. When we say that, we are rejecting our Maker, we are rejecting our God. The question is, have we been raised with Christ? And that's going to be the beginning of chapter 3 and next week's message. We need relationship with Jesus Christ. If we don't have it, we need to cry out for His mercy. If we do have it and we long for Him greater well next week we'll have an answer well you don't have to wait till next week you can go ahead and read it this week but we need to begin seeking him with all of our hearts if we are struggling with sin and we don't understand what's going on find our position in christ because we have the victory in him we don't have victory in in our own attempts that doesn't mean we shouldn't avoid sinful activity That's not what I'm saying. But if we do things in our own strength, and we seek to make a religion that is helpful to us, it will not destroy the desires of this flesh. If we are to live with Christ, we must die with Him. Let's pray. Father, this message is a hard message for all of us. Because sin is waiting at the door. Crouching at the door. Looking to destroy and devour us. Lord, help us To live in the power of Christ and not open those doors. Give us minds that are being transformed by your word, by relationship with Jesus Christ. Remind us of our position in you, Lord. Encourage us as we fight the battles that wage and rage against us. Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, you would help us to seek you. To stop paying attention to all the clamor and noise about, well, if you do this, then you'll be closer to God. If you do that, you'll be you'll be a better Christian. Lord, let us find our strength, our hope our, our, our wisdom in you to stop paying attention to the principles of this world, the way in which this world lives. Help us to reject all that seeks to selfishly make our way to God on our own. Jesus, you are the only way. Help us to find the narrow path and to stay on it, Lord. Encourage each of us this week as we consider your word, apply it to our lives, Lord, and guide us as we desire to serve you in all that we say and do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.